Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. I want to talk to you today about uh, those that are in God's house, those that come to church, those that are found around here. And sometimes if we're not careful, church can become kind of a, an elitist place. It can become a place where not everybody feels welcome, and that should never be the case. I read a little story this last week about cowboys. I, I'm on a cowboy kick right now. And uh, this cowboy had gone into town, and he was there for a rodeo, and he decided he'd go to church. And he was going to be there a few weeks, so he picked a church and headed off to it. And uh, we won't say the name of the church because we don't want to offend anyone. But he got up in the morning, and he found his best pair of jeans, and he put them on the ironing board in the hotel, and he ironed them out put the crease down those jeans and got his western shirt on and his best hat. He had several hats, and he carried, of course, his best one and headed off to church in what we call his Sunday best. And so he got to church, walked in, and sat down and sat through the service, and he, he noticed that everyone was dressed up a little bit more than he was probably. And on the way out, the pastor kind of cornered him and said, uh, Cowboy, look, we, we enjoyed having you. Um, but you might go home and talk to the Lord about what you should wear next Sunday. And so the cowboy was kind of brokenhearted about it, and he left and went, and of course he probably thought about it all week long, and he got up next Sunday morning, and he got his jeans out, and he ironed them again. He got his best western shirt out, and he ironed it up, put his best hat on, and headed off to church. And as he's walking through the door, the pastor cornered him and says, I thought I told you to talk to the Lord about what you should wear to church. And he says, I did. He said he'd never been there. He didn't know what to wear there. So that's, that can be the case very easily, can it? That if we're not careful and we're looking down our nose at people, that maybe the presence of God won't be here at all. And so that's kind of what I want to talk to you about this morning. In Matthew chapter 9, Matthew speaks and he says, uh, he, he's recording, and Jesus passed on from there. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I come not to call the righteous, but sinners. And that is a tremendous passage of Scripture, and there is much that we can gain from there. And I want to just take you through some things that Jesus did here. And the first one is this. Jesus saw Matthew. And keep this in mind. Matthew is the one recording this story. This is his gospel. This is the gospel according to Matthew. And he, as he records it, he says, Jesus saw Matthew sitting there at the tax booth. And I like that because, you know, the truth of the matter is Jesus has saw every single one of us, hasn't he? There's a humility in this, in this that Matthew offers up. In fact, he leaves out some details in this story that are filled in in the other Gospels. The Gospels tell this story in, in several different places. And, and in those places, it says that Matthew provided the food, that this meal was at Matthew's house. But Matthew leaves all of that out, and he just simply says, at the house. But Matthew is sure to, know, to note this, that he was seen by Jesus. You know what? Every one of us has been saw by the Lord, haven't we? And we were saw at our very worst, just like Matthew. Matthew was there at the, at the place that he had gained his notoriety. He was a tax collector. He was the tax man. Uh, we're rolling up on the end of the year, and we're all going to get to face the tax man again real soon. 
And not many of us really enjoy the tax man, do we? We, we typically uh, look for every way to avoid the tax man. And, and Matthew is this, and tax collectors at this time were, and probably, well, we won't go there, but uh, at this time for sure, they were noted for being a little bit corrupt. They were noted for kind of extortionary practices where they would tack on a little extra to pad their own pockets. And so they were a hated group of people. In fact, when you look at this dinner that Jesus attended, it says that Matthew was there and that there were other tax collectors, many other tax collectors, and a bunch of sinners. And it kind of shows you that Matthew didn't have a whole lot of friends other than the people just like him. And that's not much different than most of us, is it? Our friends are a lot like us. They tend to be like us. But Matthew is so humble about that. And the reality is Jesus saw us just like he saw Matthew. Can you think of that, that that Christ saw you maybe when you were spending your Friday and Saturday nights at the bar, he still saw you then. He saw you when your heart was broken. He saw you when you were running around with people you shouldn't have been running around with. God saw you, Jesus saw you when you were living a lie. Jesus saw you when you were telling lies and spreading gossip. Jesus saw every one of us, didn't he, at our very worst, that he came along and he saw us. And he is no different, Matthew is no different than the people that Jesus is about to have a dinner with. He is a tax collector himself. And he says, Jesus saw me. And every one of us could just read that verse in our own language, couldn't we? We could sit down and we could say, hey, uh, the verse reads this, Jesus passed on from there and he saw a man called Mike. Or he saw a woman called Kathy. Or he saw a man called John. Or he saw whoever it is. You could put your own name right in there and understand that you're only here today and your life is only different because somewhere along the line, Jesus saw you and called you. And so he's no different than these other tax collectors. But when Jesus is seen eating with these tax collectors, it kind of stirs a, a, a little bit of turmoil amidst the religious people. In fact, they'll ask later on in this little story, they'll ask, why does your teacher spend time eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? But Matthew is no different than them. And the reality is Jesus still spends his time looking for people that are just like we were before he found us. In fact, in Corinthians, one of the great passages of Scripture dealing with our our sinfulness, he talks about a whole lengthy list of sinful things character traits or attributes and then Paul uses this phrase and such were some of you we were no different than this and so he saw Matthew he saw Matthew listen to what Matthew chapter 9 says and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction So here, just a little bit later in Matthew's gospel, he's recording about Jesus traveling, and he's preaching, and he's teaching in the synagogues, and he's healing the sick, and he's helping folks. And then he says this, when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion, or he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see, Jesus sees every one of us. And he sees the crowd around us today. And he sees the the group that gathers in our community. And he sees the ones that are on uh, Friday nights out doing things they ought not. And he sees the ones that are Sunday mornings when we're gathering to worship. That God's not even on their mind. God still sees them and he sees their condition. And how important it is maybe that we begin to see like Jesus. 
that we begin to look beyond uh, maybe the faults and the downfalls of folks. But Jesus saw Matthew. The second thing he did is Jesus called Matthew in this story. He sees him there at the tax booth, and, and he, he pays attention to him. He notices him, but then he simply says, follow me. He's calling his disciples, and he says, follow me. And he arose, and he followed them, followed him. And so Jesus called Matthew, and he has called every one of us this morning. Whether you're here today and you have accepted Christ as your Savior, Jesus has saw you, he has called you, and you have responded to that call. Or maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, but the truth is he has saw you and he has still called out to you. You just haven't got up and followed him yet. And maybe today's the day that you ought to surrender your life to the Lord and do just like Matthew did and get up and follow Jesus. He's noticed you. He's paid attention to you. He has called out to you. Later on in Matthew's gospel, listen to what he says in chapter 11, a great passage of scripture. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That kind of gives us a little detail into maybe what Christ called Matthew to when he said, follow me. That's the, that's the call that he gives every one of us. He says, if you're tired and you're worn out and you're weary and you're, you're just frustrated from trying to live your life as best you can and then realizing deep down in your soul that it's still not good enough, that something is missing, Jesus said, come to me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Jesus was speaking specifically in 11 to the same group that criticized him in this earlier passage. He's speaking to those that are so obsessed with the law that they think they have to do everything perfectly in order to be right with God. And he's saying, knock that stuff off. Come follow me. Get rid of the load that you're carrying. Quit trying to live up to perfection. He says, I'm the Savior. It's through me that you're going to know salvation. Come to me, all you that labor and heavy laden. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus saw Matthew and Jesus called Matthew. And then Jesus spent time with Matthew, didn't he? And God wants to have a place in your life. The sad truth is many folks know that Christ has seen them. We all know the verse, don't we? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We, we sang the song as children, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible, we all know that Jesus has seen us. And we all know that he's called us. But do you know this morning that God wants to spend time with you in your life? That it needs to be more than just a, a Sunday morning thing with you and God. That God wants to spend time with you. And we see this in the story as he calls Matthew. And Matthew gets up, he drops everything, he follows Jesus. And the next thing we know, they're at Matthew's house. And they're having a meal together. And Matthew's friends and acquaintances are there. No doubt Matthew's family was there. Jesus was a part of Matthew's home life. And Jesus wants and needs to be a part of our home lives. He needs to be a part of every, every area of our lives. Jesus spent time with Matthew. In John chapter 17, listen to what takes place here. And, and this is so important. He says, I do not ask. This is Jesus praying to the Father. We often think of the Lord's prayer as our Father, which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. And that's more of a model prayer. That's an example that he gave for the disciples. If, if there really was a Lord's prayer, it would probably be John 17. This is Jesus, actually his prayer to the Father from his heart. And in the midst of this prayer, he says, I do not ask you 
to take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then he says this, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And I read that this morning because of this. God wants us to be a part of this world that we're, we're involved in. We're not actually in this world, but we're in this world. Does that make sense? That we don't participate maybe in all the, the things of this world, the sinfulness of this world, but God wants us to have a presence in this world. And if we're not careful, we separate ourselves completely from everyone in this world, from everyone around us, and pretty soon we only have fellowship with one another. That's the only people we know. In fact, it's interesting, when we had, used to have church uh, contests, we'd have big days and you'd invite friends to church. It was always, you just knew that it was the newest Christians that would invite the most friends. And the reason was because the longer we serve the Lord, we start looking around and we realize all my friends are in church. I don't have any friends that aren't saved. But the problem with that is, how can we evangelize people we don't even know? I was in the backyard the other day cleaning up, and it had rained, of course, and thank God for the rain. And, but, boy, I think it rained dirt for 45 minutes before the real rain came. And so I'm out there cleaning it up, and Kathy's talking, and all of a sudden I hear someone go, Hey, neighbor! And I'm looking around, and, and you know, I didn't know, I don't got a neighbor over here, and I got one over here that I don't talk to, but not because I don't want to talk to him. I just don't want to get shot. And then uh, I got, <laughs> and I hear the guy go, Hey, neighbor! And I look, and this guy's peeking over the fence. This a little head, kind of bald head guy. And, and he peeks over, and he says, you've been here four months. I don't even know you yet. So I walk up and say, well, my name's Mike. And we start talking. And, and he warns me, we're going to have a party. It's going to be real loud, and it's going to have loud music. He's, but you're invited. <laughs> I told Kathy, I said, I don't think he really cares if I come. I think he just wanted to make sure I didn't call the police on him. But we talk to him, but how many of us realize that that's the case in a lot of our lives, is we don't know anybody around us. But Matthew still had this circle of people that he had over to his house. And Jesus goes to Matthew's house, and he spends time there, not with the church people, but with the tax collectors, with the sinners, with the outcasts. That's who he spends time with. We're doing our small groups right now, our life groups, and man, I'm loving it, and I'm kind of dreading the end. We're coming close to the end of our book, and, but man, we've had a great time and got to know one another, and I'm already praying, you know, I'd like to start some life groups with maybe just one family and tell them, you just invite a bunch of your friends from work or a bunch of your neighbors, people that don't go to church, and get to know them because I think that's kind of what was going on here. So all these tax collectors gather together, and Matthew hasn't said, hey, I don't want nothing to do with you guys anymore. He invites them over. He says, you've got to meet this guy I met. And Jesus is sitting there, and man, I could do evangelism the way Jesus did it. They were reclining and eating a meal together. The best, Kathy will let me eat in my chair sometimes, my comfortable, but I've never got to eat in my recliner. I don't even have a Man, that's evangelism. And they're sitting there eating this meal and talking. And I got to think some of them were amazed that this teacher, this savior, this guy that had had such an impact on Matthew's life was taking the time to talk to them. But the religious folks get upset. But Jesus set an example, didn't he? 
And it's an example every one of us should follow, and that is that we should take time for the people all around us to get to know them and to care about them and to find out what's going on in their life. And then Jesus, when he hears them discussing this, they said, why is your teacher spending time with the the, uh, tax collectors and the sinners? He hears them ask that question, and Jesus doesn't even give Matthew a chance to answer. He kind of interrupts, and he says, let me answer that for you. He says, the physician doesn't come for those that are healthy, comes for the sick, doesn't it? He said, these are the ones that I came to reach. You all are, and you know Christ had to have this sarcasm, if you will. He says, you guys are the righteous ones. You don't need a savior. These are the sick. They need me. And you think about that. I wonder sometimes if we're guilty of avoiding the sick. I know we are physically, aren't we? This morning in Sunday school, I sat back in my normal spot for Sunday school, and I heard a few people coughing, and I kind of got out my notepad and said, don't shake hands with this one on the way out, and don't shake hands with that one on the... Boy, we're pretty good. Wednesday morning in our seniors' Bible study, I mean, there's nobody gives anybody a guilt trip if they're sick and stay home. In fact, they call and say, hey, I heard you're sick. Don't come. Because they don't want to get the flu, and they don't want to get some sick. We're pretty good at that. I I go to the hospital. I do a lot of hospital visits. And, man, they keep these little sanitizing soap things outside of all the rooms. I I think I get $20, $30 a month worth of that stuff. I I scrub up every time I leave. You're probably supposed to do it before you go in. I do it before I leave. I don't want to get sick. And and my favorite way to pray, and if you've been in the hospital, you know this. I shouldn't give my secret away. Uh, Normally around here, we hold hands and pray. I kind of put my hand on your foot under the blanket, and I pray for you that way. Because whatever you got that's bad enough, you ended up in there. I don't want it. But we avoid the sick. We try to stay away from them. I, I heard one, one preacher, a well-known preacher around here, he said, I don't like hospitals. People go to hospitals, and they let them die there. That's what we think of, don't we? And we try to avoid the sick. But Christ was saying, it's the sick that need me. It's the sick that need me. And there are different kinds of sicknesses addressed by the physician, aren't there? Some folks that come in here are going to be sick spiritually in their heart. They're going to be what we would call, what's called in this passage, is they're going to be called sinners. But where in the world do they need to be? in order to meet the great physician that can heal their souls other than God's house. See, this place ought to be like a hospital, amen? This ought to be the place where the sick come to find healing. And and yet sometimes church can be so different than that, can it? We look funny at people when they walk in a little scruffed up or dirty and, and we think, well, I know what they've been up to. What in the world are they doing here? They're searching. This is where they need to be. In fact, the church ought to be the place, amen, where the sick find healing. The church ought to be the place where the, the broken come and get things put back together. The church ought to be the place where the weak come and find strength to move on. The church ought to be the place where the hopeless come and find hope. And yet, these are some of the people that we push away so often. And I think we need to just avoid the fear of the sin sick and wrap our arms around them and say, you came to the right place. Because just like Jesus saw Matthew, he saw us too. And he did something in our life. And you're no different than we were when we came to meet Christ. And God wants to do something in your life. The church should be that place. And then Jesus, not only does he set the example, but he calls us 
to something very important. He calls us to pure faith, not religious rituals. He looks at these Pharisees. He says, the sick are the ones that need the physician. And then he makes this statement to them. He says, go and learn what this means. Go and look at your scriptures and learn what this means. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so he kind of gives them some homework. He says, go look it up. It's in your Bibles. It's in the scripture that you know so well. And in fact, Jesus was quoting from the Old Testament when he said that. He was quoting from probably Hosea 6 and 6, although the principle is given in several places. But this is probably where he quoted from. And here's what it says there. It says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And what Jesus was saying, he said, I'm so tired of you just going through the motions What I would rather have is you just living your faith out every day. In other words, God is, you know, he accepts our our pleas for forgiveness and thank God that he does. John 1 and 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we can go out into this world and we can mess up and we can come to God and say, God, I've messed up. Would you forgive me? And he does that. In fact, aren't you glad That God doesn't stop loving us when we mess up. That he keeps on loving us. Or not just when we mess up. Aren't you glad that God still loves us when we are messed up? Because we've all been there. We're all probably still there to one degree or another. And we'll probably all mess up again. But God still loves us. But what he says is, I'd rather you just love me and serve me and know me than have you come keep offering burnt offerings to me. I'd rather have you just be real and really in love with me than to have you kneeling at an altar every week crying over your sins. I'd rather have you just living for me. And the Pharisees, what he's saying to them is, you're no different than these folks than these publicans. And he says, you have just learned that when you've messed up, you come back and you offer some sacrifices. And then you go back out in the world and you commit the same sins and you come back and offer sacrifices. And he's saying, I'd just be happy if you'd just serve me every day. And I wonder sometimes if we're guilty of the same thing is that we're not necessarily in this thing 100%. Even though we've been saved, even though we're in church, we're guilty of maybe being so involved in being in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, paying our tithes, reading our Bible, memorizing our memory verses, that we've forgotten it's really about just living for God. And Hosea words it so well. He says, I desire that steadfast love and not sacrifice. I desire the knowledge of God rather than their burnt offerings. Do you know God? This morning, listen, Jesus came for sinners, didn't he? He was with the very people he came to reach. And the Bible tells us in Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says there's none righteous, no, not one. And so the reality is this morning, Jesus didn't just come for sinners. He came for us because we're all sinners. And think of where we'd be if he had not come for us. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. 
but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If he had not come for us, we would have had to pay the price for our sins. And that price, and we were already paying it to a certain degree, that price was separation from God. And until we met Christ, every one of us was separated from God. We knew he was there, but he was so far away from us, wasn't he? Because our sins had got in the way. And Jesus came along and he said, let me take those sins away from you. Let me remove what's keeping you from your heavenly father. And he paid the price for our sins so that we could have this relationship with God. Boy, that's good news. That's good news. So we've all sinned, and there's a price to be paid for our sin. But he said the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This morning, if if you do not know Christ as your Savior, God wants to have a relationship with you, but it will only come through Jesus Christ. It's not going to come through some earthly prophet. It's not going to come through some ritual that you perform. You can't bow your knee enough at these altars to get you right with God. You can't be baptized in this tub up here enough to get you right with God. You can't write a check big enough to get you right with God. You can't be the, 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 a good enough parent or a husband or a wife to get you right with God. The only way you and I will ever have a relationship with God is when we sit down with Jesus and we listen to his words and we ask him to forgive us our sins and come into our hearts and be our Savior. There is no other name under heaven that we can be saved by. Our works are not enough. This morning, listen, just like Jesus walked that day and he saw Matthew, He's here today, and he's paying attention to us. And if you're here today and you do not know Christ, Jesus sees you. He sees where you're at in life. He sees what you've been through. And he sees, maybe more than that, what he's going to do with your life. Because he's a miracle maker, isn't he? And he can take whatever you have, and he can turn it around and do something so marvelous with it. If you just give your heart to him. And if you're here today, and as a Christian, you've just kind of isolated yourself from all the folks around you. Jesus says, hey, it's time to open up the doors. Bring these people to me. How are we going to reach them if we don't even... Spend time with them. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you'd move in our presence in the next few moments. Lord, if there is one here today that does not know you as their personal Savior, let today be the day they come to salvation. Lord, for those of us that are saved, God, I pray that you'd kindle within us a fire, a passion for the lost, for those that are hurting, for those that are sick. And Lord, that we would do all that we can, everything within our power, to bring them to you so that you can do for them what you've done in our life.